you're listening to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RebelsRoundtable, on Twitter at RebelsRound, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in and welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, the official... The official... You know what? This just feels wrong with the man himself in the room this time around. So, uh, Jonathan, why don't you kick us off? I would be glad to. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the original Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report covering all things Rebels animated series. I'm Jonathan, here for what looks to be the last episode, unfortunately. And joining me, we have Barrent. Hey, everybody. Jonathan, it is so good to have you back. That intro was so smooth, man. It just brings me back like Calgon commercials. And we also have Mark. So sad to be the last episode already. And, of course, we couldn't be doing this without the professor himself, Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. Jonathan, fantastic to have you back. I, too, am and somewhat verklempt over the fact that it's our last episode. But at the same time, folks, you have no idea the behind-the-scenes travails. We just spent half an hour just trying to get this call to actually work and record. So there's a part of me that says, thank goodness, but I'm going to miss being with this group often to talk about Star Wars Rebels. You know, Nathan, I really have to agree with you. I have not been available the last couple of shows that you've done. And, you know, I miss it. I miss talking to you guys. I miss the camaraderie. I, I really, I can't tell you, even as, as late as today, I was fig- I was trying to think of a way we could keep it going. Because, I mean, you guys are my Star Wars buddies, man. This is what we do. And not being able to talk to you guys almost every week, there's a part missing in my life. And I want you guys to know that. But let's talk some happier topics. Let's discuss this last episode of season two. And I understand in my absence that the format has changed a little bit. So, Nathan, why don't you take us through the episode? All right, folks, we are going to approach this kind of like our lightning round episodes, even though it's really just one long episode or two if you watched it the way it was split up on iTunes here. So we'll start it off with our summary. Following Yoda's advice to hunt down the planet Malachor, Ezra, Kanan, and Ahsoka arrive on the planet Malachor, seeking answers that will help them bring down the Sith. And they kind of know going into it, apparently, that they're looking for dark side or Sith knowledge to use that knowledge against the Sith. As Ahsoka puts it, essentially knowing their enemy. They very quickly find themselves falling down into a subterranean cavern system where they see this massive Sith temple looming ahead of them. They wind up coming under attack by an Inquisitor, someone we haven't met, the Eighth Brother, a Torellian Django jumper. And this winds up separating Kanan and Ahsoka from Ezra when Ezra falls to an even lower level and somehow is not able to use his magic Jedi jumping abilities to get back up top. While the other two pursue the Inquisitor, Ezra meets a man beneath the surface who calls himself Old Master, who seems to have crashed there years before. He's the one the Inquisitor was really after, and this individual claims to be searching for the power to go after the Sith as well by being very vague in the way he describes himself. Of course, this individual, it's not an old Jedi, this is Darth Maul, or former Darth Maul, now just Maul, who came here sometime after the events of Darth Maul's son of Dathomir, when he escaped, but his Shadow Collective all went down the tubes. Ezra and Maul wind up reaching the temple and working their way towards finding a Sith holocron, which apparently can only open if you give in to your anger and use Sith emotions, 
but which can also, without opening it, be used as a key to activate certain parts of the temple, which is all part of Maul's plan. Maul acts relatively trustworthy towards Ezra, and when the groups reunite, Kanan and Ahsoka are a little shocked to find that Maul is with them, but they have little time to argue because the fifth brother and the seventh sister have also joined the fray. In the battles that follow as they work their way towards the tip of the temple, we see the deaths of the seventh sister and the fifth brother at the hands of Maul. We see the eighth brother, this new Inquisitor, basically fall to his doom trying to do a Tron. You see, the Inquisitors in this episode apparently can use their spinning lightsabers as helicopter blades. Yes, that's serious, not a joke. And when the eighth brother's blades are damaged, they give out as he's trying to jump away and he falls down a huge crevice. Of course, once Ezra is on his way up to the top and the other three are separated from him, as Ezra uses the Sith holocron to unlock the power of the temple, of course Maul turns on Kanan and Ahsoka and in his first act blinds Kanan a very Rom Kota-esque move by a character also portrayed by Sam Witwer, just as Starkiller was. While Kanan holds off Maul, using the Force to essentially guide his actions, Ezra discovers that not all was as it seemed to be. When he puts the Sith Holocron into place within the obelisk at the top of the temple, it activates the temple as a massive superweapon, a battle station, as Maul called it, that will have the ability to somehow destroy life. Whether all life or a little bit of life, never really is made clear, but Ezra now needs to stop it. As he's trying to figure out a way to do so, Vader, alerted by the Inquisitors, who are of course all now dead, arrives to try to claim the power of the Sith Temple for himself. Fortunately, Ahsoka reaches the pinnacle and faces off with her old master, claiming that she didn't actually think it was Anakin because her master couldn't possibly have become such a vile thing as Vader. After a brief battle in which Ahsoka is briefly separated away from the group again, Kanan and Ezra are able to shut down the system, are able to take the Sith Holocron and start making their getaway when Vader turns and tries to pull Ezra and the Holocron back to him through the Force. Thankfully, Ahsoka again arrives at an opportune time and attacks, managing to hold off Vader briefly and to slash into Vader's helmet, revealing, yes, Anakin Skywalker underneath. She refuses to leave him behind again. He simply says this is essentially a warrant for her death. And the two continue to battle as Kanan, Chopper, and Ezra escape on the Phantom. Finally, an overload of the system of the temple finally causes a massive energy explosion. Sort of a Indiana Jones, the temple is falling apart because the artifact has been removed type of situation. And we're left with some big questions. We hit the end of the episode. We see Kanan still blind along with Ezra and Chopper returning to Chopper Base. We see Ezra using anger to open up the Sith Holocron, begging the question of where he goes from here. We see an injured but alive Vader escaping from the temple. And in a very brief blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment, we see an apparently alive Ahsoka walking deeper into the temple. We also see that Maul has stolen an Inquisitor's tie and is escaping into the galaxy at large. So a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of setup for things to come, a very chock-full hour of Star Wars Rebels. And with that out of the way, let's get first impressions about the episode. Let's spin it around the table and our guest of honor, so to speak. Let's have uh, him go first. Jonathan, what did you think of Twilight of the Apprentice? Well, to put it simply, the best episodes we've gotten from Rebels, period. I was literally sitting on the edge of my seat. I watched this with my youngest son, and because of time constraints and everything, I actually watched it today for the first time. He and I are sitting there just literally our jaws are hanging open. We're looking at each other, and, you know, Nathan, to quote you, there were a bunch of squee moments when Ezra picks up that one saber that is very re reminiscent of Kylo Ren's saber, when Maul reveals himself, when Ahsoka slashes into Vader's helmet. I mean, these it was an amazingly powerful episode. Even when Maul starts dispatching the Inquisitors, it was just sort of like, oh my God, moments. I loved it. Barrent? I think... You're going to find it hard-pressed. You're going to be hard-pressed to find someone who did not like these episodes. 
these episodes really had a feel like Fire Across the Galaxy, which were the end episodes of season one. The music is ramped up. The emotions are ramped up. We're hoping for we don't know if if, if all the characters are going to survive. And, you know, Filoni didn't pull any punches again. We have apparently a lot of characters dying in this one, which was pretty cool. Here's another example of Filoni kind of bringing the Legends continuity into the quote-unquote canon continuity now, the new canon. Because not too long ago, they had a, a, a the Book of Sith that came out that was kind of – it kind of looked like this – this Sith temple here, you know, and that book of Sith and all that stuff is kind of legends. But, you know, little by little, he's bringing things in. He's bringing the designs of legends into continuity, into this new canon. So, you know, mad respect. These two episodes gave me the feels, you know, and I'm excited to find out where this is going. The way that they talk about the force now is very exciting. The way they're talking about the Force now, Maul, is similar to the way Luke talked about the Force in Legends of how to use it. So these are some exciting, exciting episodes. And I can't wait to hear what you thought about it, Mark. See, when they were talking about Malachor in the last episode, I was excited. Because, you know, that that alone was like, I'm like, ooh, Legends angle. And, you know, what do we see? There was a Sith temple on this Malachor. In Malachor, the system, when we saw it in KOTOR 2, there was a Sith temple there, although it gets devastated by Revenant and stuff. But that stuff didn't come across. Just the aspect of Jedi aren't welcome at Malachor. There's a Sith temple there. uh, And there was a huge battle. And I, oh, man, that was one of the angles that I really got a a big sense of of enjoyment out of. Was It felt like there was a lot of Greek mythology encased in stuff. Like as they were coming in and you saw the Jedi and the Sith that were were like frozen in stone or ash or whatever. You know, there were like these statues of them in the battle. And Ahsoka was talking about how, you know, the Jedi, the ancient Jedi had attacked the temple. And... Whatever had happened, man, it was huge because those statues were way, way out past the courtyard and stuff. When you saw the temple at a far distance and the temple looked like a Sith holocron itself, you know, and then as you got up to it, you know, they were still there. It was like, man, that must have been one heck of a battle, you know. And uh, the other thing I really got a kick out of, too, was the fact that when Ezra went to grab the Sith holocron, it looked almost exactly like the StarWars.com database version of a Sith holocron. I'm like, yes, like it was like exactly that same photo come to life uh but in a lot of ways though i felt like this episode did the old carrot and stick thing where they were dangling the carrot in front of my face i kept wanting you know this end fate of so many different characters and when i think about it like asajj ventress with dark disciple we get her end fate and i was thinking you know this one was coming in and i'm like okay either kanan's gonna die ahsoka's gonna die ezra's gonna die maul's gonna die one of them's gonna die you know, and I was really leaning towards the Okay, And then, you know, the way it all plays out, like there are people still saying, well, well, maybe she did die. And I remember distinctly seeing her walking into that Sith temple afterwards. And I was watching it again. And it's like, you know, maybe you could say it was a force ghost, but I, it's too hard to say. Like, it really just looks like it's her walking into the temple. And I have no idea what the heck that means. And I, I that's the one scene in the whole episodes that just makes me. It just kind of almost shatters it all for me. Like, I I think it would have been so much better. I mean, Baron, you were talking about not pulling punches, and I feel like putting that in there was a pulled punch. It's like having having Dwight say, that didn't hurt bad, after a certain gunshot in the last episode of The Walking Dead. I'm like, come on, what do you mean? You can't, like, uh, there was so much hinged on this. And and while there there are some deep lasting impacts with Kanan and losing his sight, which which was a brilliant scene unto itself, and the score here was great. That one scene, I just felt like, I don't know, it felt like it was such a letdown, like they were really pulling a punch. I mean, I was like, when that force explosion thing went off, I'm like, how in the hell is Vader getting out of there? You know, and then we see him leave, and then we see that with her. It's like, oh, man, still no fancy mall fly off. I'm like, when are these people going to die? Like, come on, I need to know. When is their story told? You know, I saw that scene a little differently, and I think I'm hoping – that maybe we all got a little bit of different perspective on that scene because when I saw Ahsoka walk into that cave, she looked like she fell to her knees. And I'm like, okay, she's dead. It wasn't like she just kind of walked off. She, it looked like she fell down. See, I think it depends. It's one of those things where it's, like I said, it's a blink and you'll miss it type of moment, which leaves you with questions. 
But it wasn't the kind of finality, I guess, that Mark was looking for. I gotta say, I think I'm kind of torn on this episode. On the one hand, it was a fantastic couple of episodes, or episode, however you want to look at it. I mean, you got a lot of great action in it. We got the slate cleared from some of these Inquisitors. We got a cool new Inquisitor showing up immediately dying. Uh, we have a great thing that's now happening with Kanan where his character has to evolve into something new because apparently he's going to be blind for the foreseeable future. This isn't some kind of quick injury and he's fine by the next episode kind of thing. Uh, very reminiscent again of Ram Kota from uh, Legends, from The Force Unleashed and whatnot. The conflict there, being able to finally see Ahsoka and Vader square off. What did they say to each other? What would they say to each other? Uh, her moment of realization, although they had to kind of tweak it a little for animation by giving Vader back his eyebrows so that it would animate right or something, according to Rebels Recon, which is a little weird. I mean, a lot of moments we've been waiting for finally arrive, and we got Maul as a new player in this time period. I did not like the character of Maul back in The Phantom Menace, really, because he felt like he was almost like Boba Fett. You know, flashy, one and done, he's gone. Now he's been built up so much over these different, uh, you got the books that they tried to add to his character. We had the Clone Wars, of course, add to his character. Then we had Son of Dathomir and this. It sort of feels like Maul is a major factor again. And it's cool to see him back, especially because I've always really liked the performance that Sam Witwer gives as Maul. He's a much more engaging character than I think he was in The Phantom Menace. That said, though, as great as the episode was, it took a second viewing for me to really feel like it was an awesome episode. Because when we were first watching it, we were fortunate that a friend of ours provided a, a DirecTV login so that we could actually watch it live instead of waiting until the next day when it would show up on iTunes. And that meant that we were watching with the commercial breaks, you know, with the tension built up by the commercial breaks and such. And on the one hand, I'm expecting, because we've talked about this so much, I'm expecting Ahsoka to die. Or maybe Kanan to die. In fact, Barrett and Mark were debating who should die last episode. Mm -hmm. And to have it come out that neither of them definitely die. We don't know what's going on with Ahsoka. He just says that if there's answers to be had about that, it won't be anytime soon. Well, okay, fine, whatever. We're finally going to get some answers about her time between the TV series and novel, but not about what happens after this for a while, apparently. Kanan is changed. I almost think that him being changed is better than him dying because now it's a struggle for him and Ezra's going to have to have something new to deal with with what's happened to his master. But I was expecting a death outside of the Inquisitors. I was expecting some huge moment of, oh my God, and tears. Especially because some of the people who had seen it the night before at a premiere were talking about, well, there are some deaths and you're going to be feeling it. Not really from a death standpoint. And we're watching... And I'm keeping an eye on the clock because we know that this is supposed to be the episode where Vader and Ahsoka finally confront each other. And it gets to be 9.53 and Vader hasn't shown up yet. He finally does, but it almost feels like Vader, it's, it's not an afterthought, but it's sort of like a, we need to include this in this episode, but we don't know how to figure out a way to work in Vader earlier. So we're just going to fit him into these last few minutes. It felt anticlimactic when he finally showed up and the end felt somewhat anticlimactic because... This big emotional hit that I expected us to take, we didn't get. So the first time I'm watching it, I'm feeling like it was good, but anticlimactic. Second time I'm watching it, knowing what to expect, I'm digging it. I'm loving the nuances, especially the subtleties in certain performances. And I think it's an incredible episode. But I got to admit, my expectations relative to what we got wound up not quite matching and it did affect my first experience did you guys have the same thing where you were coming into this thinking it was going to be one thing and it turned out to be another and that effect i know mark said to an extent that he did uh, jonathan barrett did you guys have that same kind of thing that we did well i have to disagree with you a little bit nathan on you know vader feeling like an afterthought because I felt like his presence was there throughout the episode. I mean, you knew very early on that Vader was coming. I mean, they talk about it in the episode that, I mean, Maul says it. They, they expect, I mean, skip the, uh, skip the previews. They say it in the episode that Vader is going to come. Maul says it. I think the Inquisitors say it. And you know he's coming. And even when it gets to the point where Maul is looking up at the holes going through the, I, I guess, what the, you know, the, the seal, the, what would you call it? The, the crust of the yeah, planet. And you see the, the shadow and you know, it's Vader's fighter and you know, he's coming. And that menace is just building and building and building that when he finally does arrive, it's, 
it worked for me. It really worked for me. And as far as not having that emotional punch, when Ahsoka, you know, finally realizes that it is her master beneath that mask and that when he and then she turns and she says she's not going to leave him again. And he says, well, that'll mean her death. It I'm sorry. I did get choked up. Yeah, I did, too. That, that was brutal for me. One of the things that I, I think I had a real hard time with was Sam's performance of Darth Maul the first time. I, I felt like he didn't do it justice the first time I watched it. And then when I was watching it the second time, I had an epiphany. And I realized that he was playing Old Master a lot the, like Darth Sidious played uh, Senator Palpatine. You know, he, the way that Palpatine was grooming Anakin, he was grooming Ezra. And it wasn't until they got into situations where the walls were going to come crashing down that I realized that it was like, oh, he's playing a role here. Okay. I got to add, though, as much as it was cool to see him, I, I actually got to a point where I sort of trusted Maul of all things. I mean, you kind of knew that he was going to have to betray them at some point because it's Maul. But they didn't do the stupid little tells that most cartoons would do. Like, he'll have like a sneer looking the wrong direction or something, where it's constantly setting up the fact that he's going to betray them so it doesn't come out of nowhere. This felt like the moment that it happened, it was so abrupt, you can almost feel it the way that Kanan and Ahsoka did. You know, they kind of expected it, but not necessarily right that second. But as as cool as, as his way of getting into Ezra's mind and sort of saying half-truths, right? The old Lucas Wallencheck thing. Um, uh, what was the line? Uh, tell the, the easiest way to lie is to tell the truth except the part that really matters, right? From Sequest. It strikes me that that worked well, but they sort of undermined it a little because when he's first meeting Ezra, they're lifting lines and circumstances directly out of Luke's first encounter with Yoda. Uh, you know, uh, put away your weapon, I mean you no harm, why are you here? It makes sense if that was what he was saying, like, in a vacuum. But knowing that we, of course, have that conversation between Luke and Yoda coming later that uses almost the same lines, and they are seemingly purposely echoing it here, to me, that felt like one of those clumsy things, like having him throw in something about making a Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs or something. It felt like... They had this great characterization, but they still felt the need to do some kind of shoehorned in, let's echo the words from another movie, see guys, we've seen it too, kind of thing, that to me, kicked me out of it a little bit. Thankfully, they got rid of that after the first couple of minutes of those two interacting, but at least those first couple of minutes had me kind of groaning, that they felt the need to go to the Yoda line well to somehow try to give the, the scene credibility. See, now... I kind of enjoyed that little bit. I, I didn't take it as like they were they were sort of lifting. I think it was almost a little bit more of an homage, kind of a maybe even a little tongue in cheek. I I enjoyed it, and I did enjoy the evolution of Maul's character when he starts out as the old master and he's completely in the beginning, you know, hobbling along with that cane and, you know, the cane's a saber, but you know, even the way he's talking, it, it evolves kind of slowly. Now, my question about that is, was he waiting for Ezra? Did, did the force give him a vision that, you know, this opportunity was going to present itself or was he just capitalizing on something that occurred? Ooh, that's a good question. Because on one hand, I want to say he was there for the ancient artifact and Ezra just happened to come along. But he did kind of lean that, that he knew Ezra was coming or at least someone was coming. I also like, though, that there was a ricotton feel to the artifact, as they kept calling it, uh, and that the, the Sith holocron was the key for the artifact. So that was kind of a cool little play as well. Wait a minute. Darth Maul was being hunted by the eighth brother. Yeah. Because the eighth brother didn't know that the Jedi were going to be there either. And he even said that he was there hunting a shadow. So the Inquisitor is not only hunting Jedis, but they're hunting dark apprentices, dark force users. What is Maul now? He didn't call himself Darth. He just called himself Maul. So they're hunting everyone who's a force user, right? Who's not on their side. Yeah, pretty much. Well, they, they called him the shadow, or at least the eighth brother called him a shadow. And the seventh sister was surprised that he actually was alive because she thought it was just rumors. So, like, it was kind of cool. Like, 
Maul had I, the fact that they called him the Shadow, like it was like, oh, he's got a boogeyman feel, like in the halls of the of the dark side over there at Sith Academy. Well, it's funny because I mean, the last time we saw him, things did not go well for him either on Clone Wars or in Son of Dathomir. And one of the things they said on Rebels Recon when talking about the character and how he came back, they talk about how a lot of the stuff he was telling Ezra was true. Uh, hence the whole tell the truth except the part that really matters. Which strikes me that it would seem like what we're seeing here is that Maul actually did crash on the planet. He really was stuck there and really was unable to do what he needed to do. Probably because of all these references he's making about how there needs to be two for so many things and it's just him. So here he is, pretty much like what we saw back in Clone Wars, where he spent years by himself down in the dark, this time thankfully not becoming Spider-Maul and going entirely crazy. And apparently the Eighth Brother then discovered him there as part of the Eighth Brother kind of searching out, you know, different targets. So I find it interesting that it didn't seem as though the Eighth Brother chased him there. So much as the Eighth Brother sort of investigated and discovered him there, very much like, by accident, the others discover him there. It makes me wonder at what point did Maul actually go to the planet? How long has he been there scraping and such to survive? There's a lot of, of holes in that. Now, we've seen him disappear for years previously. I don't think it's anything that they need to necessarily fill in, but it lent a level to me of credibility to Maul that they're even saying in the Rebels Recon, yeah, yeah, some of the stuff he's saying is true, which makes me wonder if, you know, I mean, some of the stuff that he's saying, you know, about how the Sith, you know, they they took my power, they killed my brother, they took me from my mother, Mother Towson, of course, all true. It almost makes me wonder if there's any conflict in Maul. Like, it doesn't seem as though there's conflict in him when he finally turns. He's just like, oh, you mean my apprentice? Ha ha, fooled you. And he's all about, you know, getting the power of the, the super weapon slash battle station, whatever, to use against all of his enemies like the Sith. I mean, it's the same line about wanting to get revenge on all of them as back in his episodes near the end of the Clone Wars. But there's a part of me that kind of wonders if he really is sort of feeling this sorrow. This isn't so much about revenge as to an extent it's almost like what Ezra's going through, you know, because he even makes the comment and Ezra responds about how, you know, they took my home, uh, they took my family, they killed my mother and my father. It adds a layer of complexity and a layer of... of genuineness i don't think that's the right word a, a, a layer of um uh, of reality i guess to maul often the, the word you're looking authenticity. for authentic yes. <laughs> authenticity yes. okay. easy for you to say he, he's finally a, a, a fleshed out character and i like that you know one thing i liked about maul and you're right mark i thought that when he was not used when he came back with the spider mall i mean that you can go back and forth i thought they brought him back in the fourth quarter and they gave him real legs I, I like the fact that they didn't mention anything about his stupid mechanical legs you know he just has legs now i like the way maul was talking about the force maul is basically ahsoka except for maul is still evil but he he's not he's he doesn't fight for any side he's not jedi or sith He's just going against his enemies. So the fact that Maul, the way that Maul is talking about the Force, you know, you, you kind of got the impression in the in the in the Phantom Menace that Maul was not taught as much as you think he was taught. That he just had a lot of raw rage, and Palpatine basically used that as a tool. But how much did he teach Maul? How much does Maul know about the dark side? And the fact that he's telling Ezra that you can use the darks, you have to be able to use both sides efficiently and, and unchain yourself. I think that's – isn't that what Luke was, was basically teaching in the Legends? Because he was able to use uh, Sith lightning and stuff like that. And it wasn't about good or light. It was just the Force and it was how you used it. Yeah, intentions. So I think that's pretty cool that – they're bringing that aspect of the Legends Luke into Maul. And I hope that Maul sticks around. To, I love the fact that he was going to be a good guy. I, I thought that he was going to be on the team now. And I got excited. I'm like, okay, Maul is going to be on the Rebels team now? You know, he's going to be sticking around? I thought the possibilities were pretty cool. Were endless. I never saw that as a ability i never thought that maul was going to be a good guy from the first moment you knew he had his own agenda that mm -hmm. he was going to do something and you're right we have not seen the last of him and he's not done with ezra 
And I think now that Kanan is damaged and Ahsoka is out of the out of the picture, at least for a while, that Ezra is ready and he's ripe for that that turn. And you know something that really strange that occurred to me? I don't know if you guys have talked about it. But, you know, we've we've heard a lot about how Rebels is going to be connected to, you know, The Force Awakens and subsequent films. What's the possibility that Snoke is actually Ezra? That would be rather freakish. But, I mean, they keep saying there is that connection. And for the most part, we haven't really seen the connection. So if it's supposed to be as obvious as they make it sound, I mean, the idea of it being Ezra or even an Inquisitor that we meet or something... Don't they also say, though, that Snoke was around while Palpatine went from senator to chancellor? I mean, and if that's the case, then it can't be Ezra. That's, that is true. And yeah, and he did see the Clone Wars, assuming that they're going to keep those parts of the novelization that didn't wind up in the film, which is an interesting yeah. thing to see how they play that with canon, because they used to be able to separate those out into different levels. But now there's no such thing. Barrett, I think you kind of blew my mind here. It's interesting. You and Mark both have done so here in the last couple episodes. Last time it was Mark with the whole analogy of Chopper being essentially uh, a disabled veteran. And now the idea of Maul as sort of the dark side version of Ahsoka. I mean, that's basically true. It's basically what it is. Kind of a Ronin. I'm curious where they go with Maul. And of course, we'll need to move past Maul at some point here. Uh, but it's, I'd be curious to see where they go with Maul, especially because they've basically said that as we're getting further towards A New Hope, and at this point, there's only a three-year gap or less between the show and A New Hope, that we'll be seeing less and less of the Inquisitors, because we need to start playing more by the rules of A New Hope, and there were no Inquisitors in A New Hope. Uh, kind of makes me wonder if Maul's war against the Sith is going to take out many of the Inquisitors, or if perhaps... You know, the Inquisitors were to give us something other than Vader so that Vader didn't wind up constantly getting beaten and turning into a mustache-twirling villain like Grievous was. So we had the Grand Inquisitor, and then we had, you know, the two added this season, now three added this season, all of whom are dead now, but now Maul's back in play. Kind of makes me wonder if he is going to be designed to be our next menace, no pun intended, in season three, so that again... Vader doesn't have to constantly be the one at the forefront to be defeated. He can come out in the major moments, but we can also have a threat that maybe looms large again like the Grand Inquisitor did in a way that the Seventh Sister and the Fifth Brother really never did. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. And and what's cool, too, is you could end the season or, or the series with Vader just deciding to kill them all. And that could be the end of the Inquisitors. <laughs> Vader's like, you're, you're done. Vroom, 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 just starts chopping them up. Uh, that, that's an angle that I would love to see it play. I think one of the things that I really liked about this episode was the trust angle. You know, Maul kept talking to Ezra about trusting him. Ezra was talking to Kanan about him being trusted. And Ahsoka was talking to Kanan about you've got to trust your training in Ezra. But one of the things I, I felt was really cool was the moment before Kanan gets blinded. And, and Nate, you were hitting on it when Maul goes, you mean my apprentice? Uh, and that moment I realized on my second watch, I'm like, it's Kanan that pays for Ezra trusting Maul. And that's what, I mean, it's a permanent thing. And we also watch Maul take out, or no, no, it wasn't Maul, it was Vader. When Vader shows up, he takes out Ezra's lightsaber. So there are some serious changes to the way that these people are going to be fighting from here on forward based on Ezra's decision to trust Maul in this episode. Best thing to happen to Kanan is to blind his ass, really. I mean, he is kind (laughs) of a weak Jedi anyway, and this is the best thing to happen to him because now you you kind of feel sorry for him. He's a Jedi and he's already getting stronger. The moment that Ezra uses the dark side to open that holocron, that Sith holocron, Kanan senses it. And Kanan is not big on the Force. The, you know, him sensing the Force. I mean, let's be honest. This is the best to make Kanan into a blind master is the best thing that's going to happen to Kanan. They should keep it that way. They should never bring back his sight. Dude, you did. You just blew my mind. I didn't even think about the fact that Kanan picked up on that. And you're absolutely right. The music in that moment had lifted me up. And I love the way they went from the cockpit all the way down the, the, the main passageway to Kanan standing there and he turned. And I was kind of more butthurt that he didn't have the Jedi Sentinel mask anymore. I'm like, man, I hope he keeps that mask. He looks so pimp with that on. But the thing that Maul said... One must be a Sith or think like one. 
when he was talking about opening the holocron and we watch as we're opening it. So I was like, Oh my God, no. You know I mean? That was the fact that Maul left Ezra holding on to that, that he didn't fight to get that holocron back more was something that, that, that played with that trust because when he throws Ezra and they get the holocron back and Ezra's jumping down and he's like, trust me, I'll catch you. When he catches him, he catches Ezra. And then you can watch his force grip shift from Ezra's body to just the holocron. And then he starts lifting just the holocron and Ezra's body stops being held. And for a moment, you're like, oh, my God, he's going to drop him. What's going on here? And so I, I like the way that, that that element was at play with the whole trust issue. That was just, I don't know, that, I, the fact that Kanan did that was something that totally slid by me. And that's something, too, that I want to know. Do you guys Do you guys hope that he keeps that mask or do you guys think that, that was just like a one and done little fad? I'm kind of hoping that he keeps it, or at least he keeps it for a while. I'm kind of wondering how they created it, because, I mean, it would have been done on the Phantom, and it seems like the little parts by his ears are still the parts from that Sentinel mask, that ancient, apparently, Sentinel mask, which was kind of cool. I agree with Baron. I think this is a big step in the right direction for Kanan to give him that next step of emotional development, because what did we just see? We just saw him get knighted, which is a major step, you know, by kind of by Yoda, right? Within those Force Visions somewhat nudged along by Yoda. But he was still dealing with the same issue again. You know, can I really teach Ezra? Is it all going to go okay? What if he falls? What if I fail? And it kind of had to come to terms with the same thing he did the last time they were in there communing with Yoda. So to have him now have his own new challenge and sort of push that in the next direction, I think is a good thing. I'm kind of glad that he didn't die because that would have been a, an easier path for them to take story-wise. But to give Kanan something he now has to sort of struggle with himself and have the crew somewhat struggling with, especially Hera, you know, given the look on her face whenever they finally show up there on the planet. With Ezra, I don't know where he's going. He's He seems like he's tapping into darker emotions, the dark side to some extent, to be able to open the holocron. I thought it was a great parallel to back in Spark of Rebellion, where he's kind of frustrated and sort of thinking to himself while he's sitting in a cell uh, aboard, uh, I think it was a lawgiver, uh, Star Destroyer. And he sort of instinctively starts activating the other holocron, the Jedi holocron, to see that little piece of Obi-Wan's message. So we got a nice parallel between the two. But, I don't know, he still has the influence of the crew. He still has Kanan's influence, he still has the influence of his comrades. So I'm wondering to what extent this is going to be a, just kind of, oh, oh, he's gone bad, he opened the holocron kind of thing. Or if this will hopefully be more of a gradual fall. We've already seen him sort of dealing with his own issues and certain things frequently percolating up, especially since his... He got confirmation that his parents were killed, that he, he went from believing they were dead to having hope that they were alive to knowing they died. And that just sort of changes him, and you see him carrying that weight around, and now he's showing up with the weight again here. I want this, if it's going to be a decline into darkness, to be gradual, to feel natural. I absolutely don't want this to be Anakin all over again. Because no matter how much they touched on Anakin dipping at times toward the dark side, either in Legends or in Clone Wars, it still feels extremely abrupt, if you're not reading Stover's novelization, when he switches and pledges his allegiance to the Sith in Revenge of the Sith. Give Ezra the chance to have the slow decline and a gradual corruption that Anakin never got, and it'll pay off from a story standpoint. Okay, gonna have to bring the psychology into it. There's that's, a lot that's of, why we love you, Jonathan. We love the psychology. <laughs> There's a lot of things going on here for Ezra because he was defeated by Vader. He was in a lot of ways betrayed and manipulated by Maul. Maul did something very, very subtle and I, something that I really, really liked about the Maul-Ezra dynamic was early on when he asked Ezra, it, you know, if Ezra wanted revenge, and Ezra says, "No, I want justice." And you see this little smile creep across Maul's face because, in a lot of ways, justice is the excuse people use for revenge. You know, he's got his hooks into Ezra. We can see that and Ezra is able to do things with, you know, tapping into that power. I mean, because it's always been there. I mean. We've talked about it before that Ezra in a lot of ways is suffering from post-traumatic stress as well as separation disorder from his family. He's got a lot of these things going on. Now, his two biggest mentors, as far as the Force goes, Kanan 
is damaged, compromised. He will not be able to support Ezra the, the way he did before. And Ahsoka is gone, not present. He is going to be rudderless, as well as a lot of people around him are, are suffering. We said Hera it, it was traumatized at seeing Kanan harmed. Kanan's going to be probably grieving his own disability. Everybody else, you get this sense of like just almost like grieving from, I mean, certainly Rex and everyone else. And it strikes me that Ezra is going to start maybe questioning a lot of the things that he thought he believed or, you know, the process because he wasn't able to defeat Vader. He wasn't even really able to stand up to Vader very long. And he's progressed pretty well, you know, as a Jedi or as a Padawan. Uh, he, as far as his ability with the lightsaber, as far as his ability with the Force. And he he still wasn't able to do what he felt he needed to do. He's going to start reaching out for other avenues. Now, Mark, you had mentioned that, I believe it was Mark, that Ezra's weapon got destroyed. Yeah. Right? Thank Christ that his <laughs> weapon got destroyed. Maybe Please. he took that tri-blade green lightsaber that looked like Kylo Ren's and hooked it onto the back of his belt at some point. Let's hope he took that because he didn't see it, put it down. But he went from that kind of electrical uh, slingshot thing to this makeshift blaster thing that it was cooler than the slingshot. But let's be honest, that thing was pretty stupid, too. It was still okay. not lethal. So okay, you know, wait. What's, what's the next one going to be we like? If we're going to talk stupid, I know our next top, probably our last big topic here, because I'm looking at the time, of course, probably our last big topic is going to wind up being Ahsoka Vader, the thing that we were waiting for. But if we're going to talk about stupid technology, can I get some amens around about the ability to use a spinning Inquisitor lightsaber as freaking helicopter blades? <laughs> I, had, I had visions in my mind. I, I had just watched the Everything Wrong with Batman Returns video, and I just imagined the penguin throwing the, the parts off of his... Uh, his umbrella and the umbrella magically turning into a helicopter and just the commentary on that video was yeah that doesn't work I, maybe on this planet maybe there's like a special updraft or something maybe they're spinning it and using it somehow as like gliding but not getting any uplift from it but it certainly didn't seem that way who the hell decided behind the scenes that it would be smart cool and make any freaking sense whatsoever to turn lightsaber blades into helicopters why didn't Grievous that, fly? That was really <laughs> silly. It was just unbelievable. And, and, you know, and I think I chose to ignore it because that was really that would have taken me out of the episode if I had dwelled on it. Now that you've brought it up, I'm probably never going to be able to not focus on that when I watch this episode. But, yeah, that was just silly. I know what it is. That's right when the LSD kicked in. <laughs> They're like, and then you're going to fly, man. Oh, that's brilliant, eh? I love this idea. Let's give this guy a raise. I was just concerned that the eighth brother, you know, the Torellian Django jumper, was going to take his mask off, and it was going to turn out to be Wiley Coyote underneath or something. <laughs> um, but speaking of standing up to Vader, as you guys brought up about him, about Ezra really not being able to do so. We have been waiting since she showed up in Fire Across the Galaxy to see a confrontation between Ahsoka and Vader. And how would it turn out? What could they possibly say to each other? To me, this confrontation, I think it played out well, except there was a part of me that sat back and after what happened a few episodes ago, after what happened in Shroud of Darkness, where it was the, uh, why did you leave me thing in the vision, I was very impressed to see her say, I won't leave you again. So in that sense, there's an echo back to Shroud of Darkness and what she heard in that vision. But the vision also confirmed for her that Vader is Anakin. And it's like somehow between then and now, she convinced herself otherwise and had to be reconvinced again whenever his helmet was cut. I love the entire confrontation, except the fact that she seemed to have started doubting the conclusions that were a big part of the point of Shroud of Darkness existing as an episode. Didn't she? Okay. No, 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 no. I disagree here. Ahsoka didn't want to believe it. I see this a lot, but, you know, there's a saying, denial is not just a river in Egypt. And she doesn't want to believe it. She sensed him way back in the beginning of season two when he was strafing the rebel fleet. 
And yeah, she had a vision, but you know what? Visions are very subjective and they're not, it's not like it was written in stone. Like Anakin is Vader. Do you know what I've become? Hooper, Hooper. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Well, yeah, but again, how much of her is there and how much, I mean, until she cut the mask and heard his voice and saw his eye, no, she couldn't be absolutely sure. I thought it was carried off beautifully because no, she didn't want to believe it. So she, you know, she was not going to accept it because no, it goes against everything that she wanted to think about with her master, that her master could never become the kind of individual that Vader is, that he couldn't hunt down and destroy all the Jedi and go against everything that he taught her. No, I think it was completely believable, and it was the it was the standout moment in this awesome episode for me. Oh yeah, and and her moment of realization that it, it was actually her master Anakin that killed the younglings, that killed the Jedi, did all these terrible things. It was way more powerful than what Obi Wan did in Revenge of the Sith when he found out. It was kind of like he grabbed his face. This was like it crushed Ahsoka. Like, you could almost see that everything that she was taught by him, she she had to question almost in, the, in that moment. And I love the fact that she says, I am not going to leave you. I love the fact that he says, if you're not going to leave, then you will die. I mean, it was just pulling at my heart the whole time. And just to think that not so long ago, people wanted Ahsoka to die just because she called him Sky Guy. You know, now she's one of the most beloved characters. I mean, when she first got introduced as Anakin's Padawan, we're like, Anakin, Darth Vader had a Padawan. Come on. She better be this special Padawan. She is this special Padawan. She is. She has proven it over the years, not only in the series, in this series and the Clone Wars series, but the way Ashley Eckstein handles herself and the way she's so generous to fans. Uh, Ahsoka deserved this moment. She deserved a, a confrontation with her master. And it, it just got me there. It was it was big as a moment as any Star Wars moment in any of the films that we've had to this day. Did anyone feel like, you know, Ahsoka died and that was her ghost? Or do we all think she lived? And if she lived, do we think she's going to go into hiding or is she going to show back up and continue her role as Fulcrum? Because Fulcrum was a character that Rebels had designed before they decided to make it Ahsoka. So Fulcrum had a bigger role to play, right? Maybe that's a way they could bring her back. And just let me say this. I've watched the ending since we've been recording this. I've watched it about 10 times. She walks into that cave and falls to her knees. She falls down. I think you. I invite you all and all the listeners to watch that again. But she falls to her knees. I think Ahsoka's dead. Mm, see, I, I did not know about that. One thing that struck me as odd when I was watching on my second time was that the voice of the Sith holocron was Asajj Ventress's. I was like, oh, dude, that's creepy. I think yeah. the thing about Ahsoka, Barrett, is it's open to interpretation. She could have fallen because she's defeated. She could have fallen because she died. I think that we don't have a clear-cut answer, and that's the way it should be. We shouldn't know. But either way, I mean, very likely, if she is alive, she's stranded, correct? Presumably, yeah. I could have fallen down because she's dying. She could have fallen down out of exhaustion. She could have fallen down because she slipped on a rock. I think I'm with Jonathan that the ambiguity here kind of works, because it's different than the ambiguity that we had with Maul. With Maul, after Son of Dathomir, he was just sort of on the loose... And we assume that we would never see him again. Here, there's a reason for her to be stuck and to not be out there within the galaxy at large and such, at least for a while. And with Filoni saying that apparently we're not going to get an answer anytime soon to that, I think that sort of pushes her off to the side until some other big moment, perhaps, within Rebels. Uh, what I would love to see and what we're going to eventually presumably be able to see, I want to know how this meeting connects to the last time that Ahsoka saw Anakin. Because we know now thanks to comments in the show and comments Filoni has made, that the last time that Anakin and Ahsoka saw each other was not when she walked away from the Jedi. It was when she undertook that secret mission with the aid of the Jedi right around the time of Order 66, uh, because the last time that she saw Anakin was when he was rushing off to save the Chancellor a matter of, what, minutes, seconds, day, you know, hours, whatever, 
prior to the very beginning of Revenge of the Sith. So it'll be interesting to see eventually when that book comes out that hopefully we'll touch on it, what exactly it was that was the last thing that they said to each other. It wasn't the, I can't believe you're walking away, and I know you would walk away too if you could, master, kind of thing. It was something different. And it's something we haven't seen yet, which begs that question of, you know, are, is there more to this perhaps even now that we would see in a book that would layer more depth even onto these particular scenes? It's, it's... I guess that's sort of the, the brilliance of having them wait until now to tell Ahsoka's story between the two series, even though we've kind of been wanting to know where she was in between since she showed back up again. I think the most interesting thing is that Vader let Ahsoka go. When Vader is clearly able to still fight when we see him last at the end of this episode, he doesn't go look for Ahsoka. So he lets her go. Yeah, it is interesting that he's, you know, he's walking out, he's okay, unless they just got separated somehow in the blast or something. The other thing, and this is something that Mark's mentioned previously, I don't know that he mentioned it while we were recording, but he mentioned it uh, earlier, about there was that, oh, was it called a cawdor or whatever? There's, there's a bird that as they're showing those last segments, as they're doing their where is everyone now Lord of the Rings style ending of showing everybody and what's happening with them, when they show Vader, they really do focus a lot in on that bird that's flying away. And I wouldn't have thought anything of it, except that they even call out the bird flying overhead in the description of the scene on the episode guide. I don't think there's anything to it except just wanting some cool type of background animal. But there is some thought out there that maybe the bird has some special significance. Well, that's obvious. It's just like in those Ewok, uh, the second Ewok movie, the television movie, the, the one night sister that turned into the raven. Oh, God, the, se the seventh oh. sister used the ring and turned into a bird. Oh, God. Ed. Ah, and with that, I think we just put the nail in the coffin of the episode. Yeah, with Jonathan, when you mentioned that Ahsoka's there on the planet, the only thing I was thinking of is maybe the seventh sister and the fifth brother brought ships and they left them and they're still intact. I, I, otherwise, yeah, she's going to be there for a long time. Well, at least one of them was stolen by Maul, but there should be a, another one sitting there, unless they carpooled, you know, like Space Inquisitor carpooling. Or were destroyed by the, uh, you know, that explosion. So, again, a chock-full episode, and I think it's a testament to the strength of the episode that all this time we've been talking, with the exception of, you know, the thing about the lightsaber blades acting like helicopter blades and all, all of the discussion has been focused on the characters, right? We went from Maul to Kanan to Ahsoka with Ezra and the implications for him tied into all of those. That, I think, is the mark of a good episode. But this series has really been, in a lot of ways, character studies. It's been much more of one long story than it had been when we were watching The Clone Wars and we were getting stories in arcs, sometimes out of order, where it really didn't always seem like there was one big overarching vision for the whole thing. Rebels has been something a little bit different. As this is our last episode of the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, before we say our goodbyes and where we're going next... It's probably fitting to maybe take a moment and get all of our last thoughts on what we think of Rebels so far as a whole, seasons one and two. And I guess we'll just send it around the table again for those final thoughts. Jonathan, why don't you kick us off? Well, it's no secret to anyone that I really, really enjoyed the Rebel series uh, again, I think we're looking at books in a series, and season one was book one, season two is definitely book two, and in a lot of ways, we're ending a lot like they do in the movies, that this is the middle chapter that we're ending, and things are looking kind of bad for our heroes, that they are you know, that, that that they're hurt, they're down, you know, Kanan is blinded, Ahsoka is missing, Maul is free, Ezra's future is very uncertain. And this is a good, strong story that I think Filoni and crew learned a lot from the, well, mistakes that they made in Clone Wars and have come back and have, you know, the there's a line, there's a string, there, it goes through everything. Even some of those obscure 
episodes that we saw in season one tied back in. It, it's all it all matters. It's all relevant. And I, you know, I was worried in the beginning of season two that they weren't going to be able to keep up the same level of greatness that we got in season one. But they 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 certainly ended season two on the strongest of notes. And I am so looking forward to what we get in season three. And I I can't wait. Barrett? Oh, we've come a long, long way, baby, since the Clone Wars. I, I have to agree with you, Jonathan. You can see that Filoni and crew have learned so much and, and that they have kind of had the chains been broken off of them. You can see a lot more Filoni, I guess, into the episodes where he's bringing things back that that are familiar, you know, and and we kind of have thought of this as kind of a new concept. You know, he's bringing some characters over from the Clone Wars, but he's he's just doing what he's always done, you know, and he's just doing it better now. And I love the characters. I like the characters. The characters are something that I look forward to seeing. You know, as opposed to in season one, you know, let's see where these characters, I don't really care if they die. Now, I don't want them to die. Now we have Ezra, who started out, in my my mind, as a Aladdin clone. Now he could be the biggest threat since Anakin out into the universe right now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, We got a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities for this series. And... We're going to talk a little bit what we're going to do with the series as, as we're going forward. But, you know, I'm going to miss you guys. I'm going to miss talking to you guys every week. I'm going to miss talking Star Wars like it's the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I think that this series has done, up to this point, this series has done us fans justice. It's given us some good Star Wars. You know, they they always can't, you know, we, we can get some Gascon every now and then as long as we can get fire across the galaxy as well. And I think that Filoni is delivering, and I don't see why that should stop come season three and season four. Ah, there's our Gascon reference for the episode right there. We knew we were there somewhere. You're welcome. <laughs> Mark. It's just a shame that uh, Bean won't get a jetpack before we're done. Uh, one of the things I've loved about this show, and it's done it day in, day out with every episode it's put out, it's a family-driven show. And Everything that happens to each one of these characters comes back and impacts the rest of the ghost crew. Uh, you know, the fact that the ghost, the phantom, specters one through six or five, or, you know, they've all got these ghost-like names, you know, they're all living on the fringes and stuff. Like, it, it puts them in this really cool, unique place that naturally they would become rebels. And as we're watching each of these characters that we've come to love go through this journey, that's what's really the most important part of this is watching where like Ezra gets, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just, I get back to being so excited about the next steps because of where each episode goes and where they deliver. Like now we've got Kanan being blind and my mind just boggles at the idea of where they're going to take him with that. I mean, it, you know, the, the whole aspect of him picking up on Ezra opening that holocron was just something that I had never even thought about before, but that's something I'm going to be looking out for in the future. And I'm going to miss, you know, the insight I get from you guys and the gals that when we sit here at the round table, that's going to be something I'm going to miss very much. Uh, while the show rebels had a family element here at rebels round table, we did too. I have to echo that. I mean, I'm, I've said before that the most fun that I've had with podcasting has been the, the era in which I was able to be with this group and working with Mark on Star Wars Beyond the Films. Now I'm able to work with Michael on uh, Cloud City Casino a bit, but it's still, it, it just, it's not going to re- quite feel the same without this group necessarily gelling so often. I think that Rebels did a fantastic job of, as Baron said, you know, kind of learning the lessons from the Clone Wars to essentially see what worked, see what didn't, and create something different. They freed themselves, in a sense, of uh, what I think Mark referred to in our Skype chat as we're recording this, uh, of the shackles of Lucas. They didn't have those episodes that felt like it was just Lucas walking into a random script meeting and saying, hey, let's do this thing. There's this artist, Mobius, you see, and there's this sunny day in the void we need to check out. Or these experimental episodes. It felt like the purpose wasn't as a showcase for what kind of stories can we tell, and more showcase of this is the story we want to tell, which is a marked difference. Uh, I think this series also, I mean, by having characters in it 
whose fates we don't know, gave it a level of depth that Clone Wars couldn't have for characters like Anakin and Obi-Wan and Grievous and Dooku and Sidious and so on, giving us a chance really to not know where these characters are going and to be worried about them in a sense. And it made us closer to them. And as they grew as characters, we grew to more like them and, and feel like this was a Star Wars family that we that we wanted to see each week. I'm very curious where they go with this as they move into season three, especially with the things being said about less Inquisitors and Maul being out there. What's going to happen with Ezra? How is Kanan going to cope? But also... How are they going to connect this to Rogue One, as they've said? How are they going to connect this eventually to A New Hope? And what's this big event that Filoni is hinting at in Rebels Recon that will be a major milestone of Star Wars that's going to include these characters? Are they going to take part in finding the Death Star plans? Is that stepping on the toes of Rogue One? Will those two gel together more than we ever imagined? There's a lot of possibility here the closer and closer this series gets to the era of the films. And... I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm sad to see Rebels Roundtable wrap up. Really, kind of the legacy of Republic Forces Radio Network kind of being carried on and finally wrapping up, though I'm glad we at least had a chance to have a, a true final episode here. But yeah, it'll be an, an unusual time. And I gotta say, we do have some folks who aren't here on this call that we should probably uh, thank. I absolutely think we definitely owe a lot to our regular members who or who didn't have a chance to jump in on the call this time. Jen, Jen's been kind of uh, our our stalwart female companion as the series has gone on, always giving us a different perspective and giving us some insight into that clone-loving side of fandom especially. Bethany wasn't able to be on as much as uh, we had hoped, but it was great having her join the team and be part of this. Uh, and our frequent guest commentators, uh, Jerry, Brock, and Taylor, uh, Mark's daughter, who came in and added very, in each case, sort of a different perspective based on their own takes on fandom, and in some cases, fandom generation. And even Dan. Dan, we love you. We have no idea where you are. You disappeared into the void, but we miss you. Uh, and thank you for being part of the ground floor of this. I guess I've just sort of wrapped up thoughts on the show and this show together. So I guess once more around the table, perhaps, is there any last things we want to add as we are wrapping up uh, Rebels Roundtable. Before we give a sense of where we're going next, any last thoughts you all want to uh, add to the mix? Well, I, for one, want to thank all the fans that have been with us, you know, through Facebook, through email. You know, I know a lot of people are very, very disappointed that we won't be able to go on as a regular group anymore. And, you know, we're we're disappointed about it, too, guys. But unfortunately, you know, our lives have really kind of prevented us from doing the job that we wanted to do. And I know Nathan went over this previously uh, in other episodes, but it got to the point where, you know, scheduling things was an absolute nightmare as well as dealing with technical issues and finding time to do the editing and everything else that we wanted to do. And we finally came to the decision, I think, when Nathan said he wasn't going to be able to keep on as a regular and my life got a little crazy, that we'd rather not put out an episode than put out a, a substandard episode. And and it was getting to the point where it really felt like what we were putting out was rushed and it wasn't the product that we felt that you guys deserved. And again, I cannot thank you enough for all the, the well wishes and the, you know, the thoughts and all of you have been with us through this whole ride. We do love you guys and we will still be around in some way, shape or form. Always feel welcome to reach out to any single one of us. We're all there. We're, we're part of fandom and we will continue to be part of fandom. And, you know, for me, as much as I love talking to these guys, you know, every week and some cases for hours and hours on end when we're trying to get a episode completed. I, I'll also miss all the interactions with the fans. You know, I just want to say thank you to the fans, to the listeners. I mean, over the years, I've gotten such great comments and, and some, some not so great, you know, that uh, this is always very interesting that everybody agrees with our opinions uh most people think nathan is wrong so there's that but um <laughs> no it, it's been great for all the listeners thank you very much for for listening to us talk and supporting us and thanks to brock and and 
Jerry and Jen and Bethany and and everybody else, you know, Glenn, who has been following us forever. You know, he's always uh, out there giving us a, a little taste of what he thinks of of the episodes. So it, it's been a great journey. I've learned a lot about Star Wars fandom from being involved. And it's just great. You know, it's bittersweet. But Mark, what do you have to say? Yeah, I just want to thank everyone for, you know, allowing me in on the show as the new kid on the block. Me and my daughter coming on was kind of cool. Everyone was very accepting. I really appreciate that. Uh, and, you know, uh, maybe you'll hear her and my voice again down the road on something uh, that uh, Baron can talk a little more about. Yes, Baron, there's a new project in the works. So they'll be able to, of course, still follow Star Wars Beyond the Films and, you know, my YouTube channel for me and you know, Cloud City Casino and all, but that's all the old news stuff. There's something new on the horizon. I know you don't have a lot you can share yet. Is there any insight you can give us as to what you and Mark have in the works now? All I can say is this, is that we are going to continue in the tradition of Rebels Roundtable and Republic Forces Radio Network with the next generation of Star Wars fans. So just stay tuned. Uh, Mark and I are putting a little something together right now, and you'll hear something in the future about it. Well, make sure that you're following the Facebook page for Rebels Roundtable or the Facebook page for Star Wars Beyond the Films. And of course, as this new project gets a little bit further along, links and all kinds of information we posted there before they launch a Facebook page of their own. And of course, the Star Wars Report website would be a good place to find that information and the Star Wars Report's Facebook page as well. And uh, also, thank you very much to Arnie and Marjorie. Uh, Star Wars Action News will be posting links as well. So just stay tuned, everybody. No, take that out. We'll be back. Just stay tuned, everybody. That sounds very exciting. Very vague, but very exciting. Well, in the grand tradition of Rebels Roundtable, Jonathan... Why don't you take us out? Wow. It, it feels like the end of an era. Well, until we speak again in some way, shape, or form, long live the rebellion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit republicforces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved.